Thanks so much for joining us for Faith in Four Letter Words, where we take an unapologetically real look at surviving the boys club, perfect poly and motherhood, all while living in a glass fishbowl. I'm Amanda Goodman. And I'm Tara Thomas. As each week progresses, we never anticipate what's to come, but in no way could we have anticipated just how things would shift in our world, you know, within one to two weeks compared to the last time that we connected. I mean, it's, it's been an amazing, overwhelming shift, uh, particularly for our friends that are dealing with racial issues as their norm. Now with everything, you know, bubbling to the surface over this tragic George Floyd incident. I can't believe what happened to him, what we witnessed, and then the aftermath. Um, you know, there's no need to go into, you know, those details. I, I want to talk about the aftermath and how annoying it is when I hear people as soon as you know, you hear the words black lives matter. You immediately, there's that immediate echo of wait, 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 wait. all lives matter. And it's so selfish. It's so condescending. And it's so ignorant when people say that the black lives matter movement is not telling, it's not saying to people, you know, only our lives matter. Black lives, matter. they have to have this movement because people seem to forget you know, George Floyd was killed. He was murdered for allegedly using a counterfeit $20 bill. Tara, let's be honest. If that was you or myself in that store, the store manager would have been like, all right, get out of here. Get out of here. It, it would have been a totally different scenario, the way right. that it played out. And I think everyone knows that, but I think it's hard for some to admit that contrast because then if you acknowledge it, you also have to own the uncomfortableness that comes with that. So I think that is one plus is it has forced many people, including ourselves, to just reflect on that day-to-day living experience that we are afforded in contrast with others. And I do feel, as you said, that it's unfortunate that so many people, and, and we're so polarized anyway as a nation, but so many people will take offense to somebody's free speech when in fact we, everyone is outraged if theirs is violated. I mean, you just had a post (laughs) taken down on Facebook like a month ago. And now some of the same people that were outraged about that are mad that people are being vocal about their, you know, racial injustice. So it's, it's too bad that there's so much hypocrisy. There is entirely too much hypocrisy. And this is what people need to understand right now. All lives matter, okay? We are focused right now on the black ones because it's apparent that certain people don't understand that. And if you can't see why people are saying black lives matter, then you may be part of the problem. And it was interesting, Tara, did you notice that there were so many more people outraged by the looting and the protesting than they, than they are in the, the murder of innocent men and women? And that's oh, what got me. And, and, and I was accused of you're promoting violence against police officers. I'm not promoting any kind of violence. You know, I, I'm thankful for the good cops, the good police officers. I'm thankful for them. We need them in our community, but there needs to be accountability for the bad ones. 
And that's the issue. I mean, he sat there, he sat on his neck for nine minutes while three other ones or four other ones stood around and did nothing. You know, and it's troublesome on so many levels, but I can't recall the term, but I know we all at some point in our educational history have probably come across that lesson where it's like that crowd mentality, that psychology, right? Where if you come upon somebody being assaulted, how do you react? And when you look at the hidden cameras and the surveillance cameras, like the, you know, the 2020 investigative undercover shows, it it just, it's mind boggling how many people will often freeze and become an audience or a witness or in today's society, pull out their phone, but they won't intervene when they know that in this case, somebody could lose a life and where this is personified in a different at a different level is this, these witnesses, they were fellow police officers trained to be able to intervene to save somebody's life. So it's just sick how there was that sort of mob mentality of letting it happen and no one stopping it, which is why it is appropriate that all of the officers are facing charges as a result. I think the other piece that I have to say, and you and I both have experienced this, and I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but didn't it blow your mind all the years when we were in television news? If something happened to an animal, people were oh. outraged. I mean, if there oh. was a, an, a, you know, there could be a horse that was shot dead and people were ready to burn down the, the stable. But yet, as a contrast, you would have children being sexually abused and murdered, and people were just mm, silent. That's the parents' no fault, shares. or mm, I guess I just don't really see that those people were helpless because it was their choice to not raise their child better. And so, what we know of that phenomenon is personified with the George Floyd situation, where in in the minds of many people, the default is going to be okay. There's more to the story. What else did he do? Mm-hmm. What was it that, you know, they're not telling us? I mean, why we go to that place in our minds, I think we all have to own that immediate defensive nature and let's justify in our minds with very loose and judgmental and stereotypical arguments. Let's abandon how we go to that place in our mind and then let it lie. Let's, let's examine and shine a light on that mental default and say, this isn't okay. Because as you just described, not only was that a petty situation, but one where in the end he would have been vindicated. It wasn't even a counterfeit bill. And then as you describe, had it happened to you or me or, you know, another white person, it may have been an apology on the part of the police once they vindicated the person. And in fact, in this in this situation, there is no vindication because a man is dead. Exactly. That's exactly, yeah, that's, it's laughable to me because have you seen, you know, there is this um, black conservative activist, Candace Owens. So she recently posted and she did this long video where a lot of my friends a lot of my white friends are sharing and they're like, listen to her, listen to her, you know what? And it's a slap in the face because they're doing it because they're saying, look, here's a black person who doesn't agree with, you know, that they don't think that George Floyd should be praised because he was a criminal and it's disgusting. Okay. So she's, she's talking about how she, she, he shouldn't be a martyr. And she, she does say that it's horrible what happened to him, but then she goes into his criminal history 
That has nothing to do. Police are not judge nor jury. Police officers are not supposed to murder. You are innocent until you're proven guilty. I don't, that man did not deserve to die on the side of the road underneath no, no. underneath the weight of a, a police officer. So it's very upsetting to me. I mean, have you looked differently at some of the people that you're friends with on social media and kind of were like, wow, I didn't know you thought that way. Absolutely. And I think we've talked about this many times before. When you think about that same concept, that crowdsourcing, that you know, following the leader blindly doing things because somebody else is doing it. And and we, by nature with social media tend to be followers. I mean, we're literally trying to garner followers. So when you think about how so many people jump on, you know, a bandwagon, is there sincerity in many respects with trying to be supportive and part of a movement, putting, you know, a black screen on your social media banner I totally respect anyone's choice to do that. But my question is always, actions do speak louder than words, as cliche as it sounds. So my follow-up to anybody that I've seen on social media that is sharing any and all anti-racist rhetoric, what are you doing in your daily life that does indicate that you are living your life or trying to raise your children or moving your family to a position or opportunity to engage with people of color. And honestly, I would say many people I know are doing very little. In fact, economically speaking, they've, they've really charted a course in their life where they are not necessarily intentionally, but subconsciously making choices to deviate from physical interactions with people of color. I'm talking about where the child attends school, the zip code where they choose to live, where they choose to go on vacations, with whom they form close relationships with. I mean, if you look down your phone list of your, you know, hundred plus contacts and you don't have one person of color that you could text or call or have any kind of relationship with besides a hello, when you pass them in the water cooler at work, that might be part of the problem. And then, then the default of most people is, well, I can't help it. I mean, I grew up in Iowa and everybody's white and that's where I live. And then, and then I go back to, but there are intentional choices that you can make to counter that. For example, you could take your child and go on a vacation to see some of the civil rights, you know, history played out before us. And so those are some of those intentional things that we both know have to happen for change to be not even, we know change isn't going to happen overnight. And and in many Mm -hmm. respects, there are some people who've given up on change, but you and I both know that that is the only way that you overcome some of the stereotypes and some of the conditioned response to bias that we grow up with. So I guess I'm going to say to all those people who put the black banner on Facebook and change their Instagram, what are you doing next week? That's, I mean, that's what are you doing to move forward? Because nothing. If you're still, <laughs> yeah, if you're still not close friends with any person of color, if your kids are never around people of color, like, I'm going to say you might want to branch out at, at some point because you're never going to get it then when you see what's playing out publicly. You'll never have it. And it's like when my 12-year-old daughter can say to me, you know, mom, all these people posting, you know, they, they post quotes on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, or they're, they're putting these square black boxes. She's like, they're silent the rest of the year. And she's right. And I read this quote by this woman, and I want to share this with everybody because this is so true and profound. 
And she says, quote, it's easy to quote, only love can conquer hate when you can walk down the street without fear. Love can't conquer the hate that causes a white cop to kneel on a black man's throat for almost nine minutes while he cries out in pain, begging for his mother. Love can't drive out the darkness in the heart of a white woman who calls the cops on a black man when she's the one doing something wrong. That's not what Dr. King meant at all, nor would he expect us to stand there and take it. That's the thing. I'm so tired of people saying violence isn't the answer. Violence isn't the answer. You know, love, love, love. Well, you know what? When people try to protest peacefully, people had a problem with that. Right. Because you took it the wrong way. You wanted to say, well, you're, you know, you're disrespecting the flag. And, you know, Tara, you and I have talked about this before on this podcast. It's just join in. And I think it's interesting, these protesters, if you look in all of the cities across the country, the protests that have remained peacefully are the ones where somebody from law enforcement just takes a knee in solid and shows that moment of solidarity and just says, this is the, you know, we're with you. It's not, it's not white versus black right now. It's not, you know, black versus police officers. It's everyone against racists. That's what this is. That's right. I, I love seeing some of those statements and that was it. Yeah. Very- and it's, it's everyone against bad cops. And it was Nobody a profound, wants a, oh, go right. ahead. And it's like, you, you have to understand something and think about it. As a white woman, if I'm driving down the road and I see police lights behind me, I'm thinking, shit, I'm about to get a ticket. My black friends are thinking, shit, I could get shot. And, exactly. And, and people listening may think, oh, come on, Amanda. That is the reality. And that is... Every single no, but, one of my friends who and, I and talk this to. Is, and this is what we should qualify it as. It's not that we're saying that any police officer has the intent to harm anyone. It's that you as a person of color, because of what you've seen other people endure or what you know of with friends, family and connectedness that never makes the news. It's just that fear that comes over you or that assumption that something could go wrong, something could go sideways. And so what, what Amanda is saying is if you're white, you never have that default fear that would kick in because yes, white on white crime happens. And yes, police officers of all races assault and and vice versa and, and criminals assault cops. So, so yes, it's completely ridiculous to think that all of the above doesn't happen, but what she is explaining and what we take for granted is you would never have to think for a moment like, oh my gosh, like this could go south to the point where I lose my life. If you thought that you would be the exception to the white rule because most white people, they're just thinking, like she said, like, oh shoot, I don't want to get a ticket. Not, oh, I don't want something to happen where like my arm was, you know, in my pocket. Right. And it was mistaken for me pulling a weapon. I mean, and that's just yeah. how much everyone is on edge, especially if they're a person of color. But, you know, another thing that I have to say, and this is, again, like many things that we probably both say, especially you, because you're willing to really be vocal for the, for what you believe in, which I so respect, that this will anger a few of our listeners, I'm sure. I am going to say this, and I will, I would say this publicly, because clearly a podcast is a public domain. I have a huge issue and I always have with white liberal females that are so, and when I say liberal, what I mean by that is 
you are so, and I'm speaking because many of my friends would fall into this category, you're so committed to all these causes and you constantly are, you know, bashing any and all uh, conservative viewpoints on social media. But then in your personal life, you are making no intentional changes to actually support, live around or work with any of the people that are disenfranchised and being kept down. You're you're doing none of that in your personal life. So that makes no sense. So then that's like saying, you know, I, I totally agree with equality, but separate, but equal, because I'm living my life completely separately from the people I claim to be equal with. And so one, here's a great example. And, and this is one that I always tell people, it is so crazy to me, the number of people that I know that live in big city suburbs with all white people, and they will tell me about the immigrant experience or why this or that is wrong about immigration or why this, you know, person of color is facing uh, whatever issue around discrimination. And then I always want to say, and, and again, out of respect for my friends, you know, I don't really hold their feet to the fire because to me, it's obvious. It's like, do your children right now in their day-to-day life, does your family right now in their day-to-day life of shopping and errands, right? are you shoulder to shoulder with immigrants? Are you around newly immigrated Americans or people that have visas that are ultimately wanting to become American citizens? Are you, are your kids in classes right now with kids speaking multiple languages because they're ELL families that have, you know, been speaking other languages in the home. And, and for me, absolutely. I mean, my kids are around what I would call a United Nations. I mean, we have up to like 75 different languages being, or dialects and 40 different languages. And so I do know what their experience is like, not that I can walk in their shoes, but my children are friends with and engage with families. And we understand and have an empathy for what some of the people are going through. And this isn't me advocating for any political agenda. It's me pointing out that if you're out there with a sign right now and you're standing next to a person of color and you're, you're saying Black Lives Matter and then you're going home to your all-white school, your all-white town and your all-white suburb, you are part of the problem. So, right. so don't fault, you know, the person who's out there like a police officer on the front line because he or she is actually choosing in many cases to be a part of communities and neighborhoods of color where hopefully if they're doing right by any individual living, you know, in a neighborhood, they're building relationships and trying to help keep people safe. And those are the police officers that Amanda and I embrace and we celebrate. Absolutely. Those are people that are putting their lives on the line for people of color. Meanwhile, you're back in your all white safe suburb telling everybody else in, in the midst of trying to make this community work, how we should do it. Yeah. And don't say, don't sit there and say that you're not racist because you have black friends, because that is the most ridiculous thing that, that, that (laughs) needs to stop. Like I cannot stand. It's like, I, the other day I was like, you know what that is, you know what that is? That's that black friend thing. That's the one time in college, you know, when you were at a bar and you got a group shot and there was one black person in the back row. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly what it is. It's, that's exactly, you know what I mean? Cause I don't even, it's the one thing that I've noticed living, you know, living here in Iowa and no offense to anybody here, but Iowa is majority of Iowa is white. Right. So when people start telling a story about their friend, they'll say, Oh, my black friend, Lisa, my friend, Lisa, she's black. Like you hear them say that. And so for me, it's very odd because I will say, you know, my friend, Lisa, like, I don't count like, you know, here it's very much, Oh yeah, we had a black kid in our grade in our class. And I think it's like, it just blows my mind because 
my graduating class, like if you ask me, well, how many black kids did you graduate? I don't know. I mean, we were just a perfect, beautiful mix of so many different cultures. We had black, white, Puerto Rican, Cuban, Mexican. I mean, like we had this, my high school was awesome, you know, but I'll tell you what, the first time, and I want to share this story. And I don't even know if I've ever told you this, Tara, but this was the first time that I saw racism up close and personal. It was 2002. I was living in Amarillo, Texas, and my good guy friend, his name is Jay, he played football for Texas A&M. Um, so he had recently graduated when um, I was going to a Notre Dame football game. And he was joking around. He was like, well, I haven't been up to South Bend since, you know, we kicked your ass before. And I'm like, well, come with me. I had to drive because I was a poor journalist making $6.50 an hour. So we were driving. He was driving the car. I was in the passenger seat. We're driving through Missouri. We see the, the flashing lights behind us. We pull over. The police officer, there was one on my window and one in his window. The one in his window asked Jay to get out of the car and go into his the back of his um, squad car. Jay does that. The police officer gets in, the other police officer gets into the driver's seat now and sits next to me and starts asking me if I was being held under my will, against my will. Are you okay? And I'm looking at him wow. thinking- what? Cause there I was that I had this bright blonde hair and, and I looked at the officer and it just took my breath away. So 10 minutes pass, he gets out of the car, Jay gets back in the driver's seat and he just starts driving and he's quiet. And I go, Are you all right? He goes, yeah, why? And I said, what was he asking you? He's like, well, I had to show him my license. He ran my plates. He wanted to know how I knew you. And I said, are you kidding me? He said, yeah. I say, he goes, I get stopped for being black all the time. And that was the first moment. It was like, wow. Wow. I mean, it was 2002. So, I mean, I'm in my young twenties and I have never seen it up close and personal until that moment. Wow. And so and you have so to understand people. our black friends and family, this is second nature. That's right. And it is not okay. And, and, and this is what I want. I'm, I'm talking to white people because it's like Tara said a couple podcasts ago, Anime Weems, the civil rights activist said, white people will listen to white people. This is where the problem is. If you are white and have money, you have it easier in this country, point blank, period. Yesterday, I posted, the other day, well, you're listening to this on Monday, I wanted people to understand. So remember the name Brock Turner. Brock Turner was that privileged white boy who went to Stanford. He was from a very affluent family in Ohio. He raped a girl behind a dumpster. He raped her. She was unconscious. That SOB was sentenced to only six months in jail. His dad said that was that's very, it's a harsh punishment for only 20, 20 minutes of fun. That's what his father said. He only served wow. three months in jail for, quote, good behavior. But his dad said he suffered enough. He can't even enjoy a good steak anymore. That is the difference. There's Ethan Couch, the other rich white boy from Texas who was drunk and plowed into a group and killed four people when he was 16. And the judge said because he suffered from affluenza, because he his family is so rich and he, they spoiled him and he didn't understand the word no he was sentenced to probation for killing four people that is the difference Absolutely. that is the difference and there, and there a black person examples. The, 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 a black person probably would have been killed sight unseen 
on site. He probably would have, they probably would have had a, you know, a knee on the throat and I'm sorry. I'm, it's just not okay. And anybody who's sitting there saying like, oh man, come on, those are two extremes. They're not two extremes. We just watched a man, we watched a man, his life come out for a $20 counterfeit, alleged counterfeit bill. Come on, stand, start taking a stand. And if your other white friends don't like you saying that, and if you think they're going to weed those people out, you don't need those kind of people in your life. This is the time to start standing up for justice right now. And be the voice that would give them some level of enlightenment that we know they're never going to hear if, if they just, for whatever reason, and that's fine. If you don't have that person of color in your life, the people that are white that do reach you, or you do have connections with consider their perspective when speaking as in the case of Amanda, on behalf of circumstances and situations where we have been exposed and we understand and we do not by any means pretend to know what it feels like because we're white, but we can impart some of what has shifted our thinking and enlightened us. And it's been forged out of loving relationships with people who look differently from us, but have the same goals and values and life aspirations. That's spot on. And you have to understand something just because you're standing up against racism, against injustice, because you're standing up against bad police officers does not mean you're standing against police officers. The, we have, not. we have awesome law enforcement. They're cut from a different mold. The fact that they are willing to put their lives on the line every single day, they are heroes, but you can't afford to have one bad one. You can't. So maybe that's a good place to end, right? Absolutely. Well, <laughs> everybody stay positive and, and we all are in it together as we you know stereotypically Amen. say, but That's the only way that we can work things out is to have dialogue. Have a great week. 